As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Well, it's our first uh, off-season episode, I guess. Last time we talked was very late night. Peter and I recapped a Rangers World Series win, and now we start awards week. So we're going to do all MLB second team today. Then you got all MLB first team on Wednesday. Then you'll have all three of us for awards. MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year uh, on Friday. Jack and Aram, Just Baseball Show, as always, presented by BetMGM. Uh, Second team, I've got some candidates that I got to run past you at a couple of positions. There were some shoe-ins, like Matt Olson was the shoe-in second team first baseman. We'll dive into him a little bit in a moment, but you know, Freddie Freeman was crazy. Matt Olson was also crazy, but then who contests him? However, there were some positions where depends on what you value. The second team could go either way. And second base is the one that I, I think really jumps out. Yeah, second base is a fun one. I, I thought a position that a lot of players either had nice bounce backs or or made a, a leap this year, you know, yeah. when you could talk about it. and we'll get into it. But yeah, the bounce back of Catal Marte, Ozzy Albies, I think in a lot of ways you could say bounce back, even you know, though it's been more injury related for him. Bryson Stott taking a big step forward, Hassan Kim taking a big step forward. Like there's a lot of fun uh conversation to be had around that entire position. As well as some guys that disappointed that won't be, you know, in the conversation as much too. So uh, I, I, it's it's also a philosophical conversation because based on what you value in different ways, you could probably have different answers and have a sound case for it. So it like should just Louisa be a fun Rice? kind of yeah, exactly, exactly, and it should just be like a fun open conversation, I guess. Yeah, uh, that I think there isn't necessarily a wrong answer to uh, with a couple of different choices that I think easily could fit in. 
before we get into it, how was the fall league? Fall league was great, man. I'm I'm excited to break that down with you on the call up. Uh, it's, I mean, it the thing that's so shocking to me, and I think I touched on it briefly with Peter was, look, I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world for even if you're a general baseball fan to to watch prospects or minor leaguers, but. I think if you've got nothing to do and you're in Arizona and there's like locals out there that like baseball, I'm so shocked that there's not more people out there. It's, it's predominantly scouts and uh, front office members. And then people like me that want to cover it. And then a couple hundred fans, the access is awesome. You can pretty much sit in the first row behind home plate. The the in-person looks that you're able to get for my perspective is fantastic. The video that I was able to get uh, thanks to, Will Cohen, our producer and video extraordinaire. Uh, we're going to be putting out a lot of that. Uh, ch- keep up with that on Twitter as well. A lot of really good video of some of these top prospects. But it's really fun and it's great baseball. And I'm I'm surprised more people don't go out. If you're ever in the area, if, if you ever find yourself in Arizona in October, you know, early November, definitely go check out a game. It's 12 bucks and it's a ton of fun. And the weather is perfect. But a lot of talent out there, dude. Victor Scott was a blast to watch. Got to watch him play three, four games. Uh, with the Cardinals, of course, stole nearly 100 bags this year. Uh, 100 if you count, you know, the, the Arizona Fall League. It, it's just so much talent out there. It was a lot of fun. So looking forward to breaking that down with you on on the call up. My, my other sneaky favorite part that I'm I'm pretty jealous of is you got to see all those complex ballparks. And yeah. I love the spring training complexes, man. There's there's something so because like it's a wholesome, it's like the travel tournaments that you would go to as a kid and and you have, you know, X amount of ballparks sprinkled around, but they're just exponentially nicer and there's yeah. a bunch of millions of dollars poured into all of them. So it's like the nicest complex you got to play at and travel ball. And I know that there were some, you know, like high level travel tournaments that were held at, at some of these complexes. Yeah. So it's we- uh it's cool, man. It, it kind of takes you back to those days where. Yeah. You were like a D3 tweener, but opted to go to school to have fun instead. And just like, you know, those summer, those summer tournaments and, and just being in, you know part of that, that big league complex and just looking around is so cool. But to your point, I think it's, it's interesting how, I mean, there's so many different teams now that call those areas home, those different ballparks home for, for the spring. And each spring training complex has a different kind of feel to it, different character. Camelback Ranch where, the Dodgers and the White Sox you know, play that has its own vibe. Then these other places, Sloan Park has you know, another vibe, more like the Cubs. And I, I think that part of it's really cool. Uh, the last thing that I think is really a, a fun aspect of it from a spring training standpoint, or just, you know, the Arizona fall league is that they're all kind of within an hour of each other. Most of them within 20, 15 minutes, and you can really bounce around and see a lot. One thing before I forget, I ran into a listener of the show, I believe his name is Sam. It was late at night. So if I, if I messed your name up, I'm sorry. He claims he never misses an episode. He was so nice to say hello to me. I just wanted to put this out there, reach out to me. I want to send you some just baseball merch. Cause it was like the nicest thing ever. Just came over, said hello, introduced himself. Uh, we talked ball for about 20 minutes and I was like, shoot, I didn't get his info. I'd love to send him some just baseball merch. So Sam, shoot me a DM on Twitter or Instagram. It's always cool going out to these different places and maybe running into someone who, you know, doesn't hate the podcast. So uh, that was, that was also really fun being out there and having that experience, but I really wanted to send something out to him, uh, but I did not get any information. So Sam, if you hear this, please hit me up. Shoot with the public good guy move. You can't no, do that. That's, that's, that. There's no other way. There's literally no other way. No, for me to be able to get in touch. Know, how are people going to know that you're a good guy? If you don't say it on the podcast, Fuck you, Fuck <laughs> you. Oh. all right. You want to talk about Yoshinobu Yamamoto? 
Not really. Not anymore. Jeez. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for the hype train that's about to start rolling now. I think this is going to be the story of the offseason. I, I know Otani is the story, but there's something unique about a guy coming over here and all of the interest that's going to be around him as well. Otani, yeah. it's like a sweepstakes for like three. Yeah, um, it's a formality. Everybody was expecting it, but Yoshinobu Yamamoto was officially posted by the Oryx Buffaloes after their yep. season ended. So Yamamoto is coming over. You wrote a great feature pitch by pitch on Yamamoto, which has NPB data. If you're interested in that, if you're from that crowd, if you're not from that crowd, this guy has a four pitch mix. He could have a five pitch mix, but he doesn't use one of them. That's really good. Uh, And he's got better numbers than pretty much any pitcher to ever come over from Japan. And I'm talking Tanaka. We're talking Darvish. All these guys signed big deals. Tanaka was seven for 155 in a heightened market. But guess what? This is a heightened market too. So as you dove farther in, does seven for 155 feel like a starting point or does that feel like a reach? It's funny because I I think that looks like a closer to the starting point. I, I don't know from the lens of what, you know, we don't, this doesn't happen often, but you mentioned Tanaka and that was a while ago now. And, and yeah, markets changed and all that good stuff, but we just watched multiple pitchers opt out of pretty decent deals in their player options because they feel like they're going to get a good amount of money in this, in this market because it's thin. I mean, we just saw Marcus Stroman opt out, which we thought might happen, but he really fell off in the second half with injuries and things like that. He still feels like he's going to get more uh, Clevenger opting out of what, like $12 million. I, there's there are a couple other pitchers that opted out of, a pretty solid salary. So I think that's a reflection on what's going to be a, a really exciting market if you're a pitcher. And for Yamamoto, he's young. How often are you going to get a 25-year-old, going to be a 26-year-old with this much of a track record? And I know it's not Major League Baseball, but it's also a lot more than double A. You know, it's a lot more impressive than a couple really good years in the minor leagues. You can say with a, a high degree of confidence that this guy's going to be a big league starter for you in some capacity. You're paying him, if you pay him 200, you're paying him to be a frontline guy. But I think you can feel pretty comfortable that even if it doesn't work out all the way, he's a middle rotation starter that you probably paid a little too much for. There could be outs in that contract. You can get you can get clever with it. But I, I feel really comfortable with him. And, and we'll link the, the article in the episode description so people can check it out. The other reason is if you aren't that into the data, I pulled video of each of his individual pitches so you can just watch them and see the way they move. You mentioned one thing that I thought was really important. He has another pitch that he can go to that he doesn't, and that's the sweeper. And I thought about it when I was writing the piece, and I was like, this is a whole other wrinkle that I think he's going to unlock a little bit more here. Why didn't he throw the sweeper much out there? Well, because in Japan, there's way more left-handed hitters. Sweepers like infamously are way better against righties don't work as well against lefties. Why use a pitch when two thirds of the hitters you're facing out there are lefties. It just wasn't a pitch that he needed to go to. So you see a lot more righties out here stateside. And I think that sweeper might be a part of his arsenal again uh, and, and used a little bit more all of a sudden that's a five pitch mix that all could potentially be plus this guy could realistically have a chance to be the best pitcher in baseball or one of, I like, I think there's, there's a chance that that could be, so if you have a chance to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, I think guys are teams are going to be ready to shell out 200 for him. Think about what Garrett Cole's getting. Yeah, he could be within a shouting distance of him and 100 million cheaper. I, I don't look it, a lot has to go right, but it's possible. And 
that's exciting. Wow. Yeah, that's really exciting. So I, it's hard because the only time that you deal with this much, like, un, I don't know, like unforeseen or unseen, I don't know. The only other time you see this is in the NBA draft with international prospects like Wembanyama. Hey, how is he going to translate to the American game? Yeah. Porzingis, how does he translate? Doncic, how does he translate? That's really the only other time that the question is asked. And those guys are not signing max contracts when they come over. They're getting drafted. So it's about draft order compared to other 18, 19 year olds. Now you're compared to other guys in your free agent class. But I mean, you're saying like there is a chance this guy comes over and is first or second team all MLB next year. I mean, what was Kodai Senga in the second half of the season? Yeah, we're going to talk about Kodai Senga in a minute. So, you know, I, I think he's got a lot more going for him than Senga. And that's not a slide on Senga whatsoever. The last thing I'll say is people talk about the baseball. Oh, well, how is he going to throw with the different baseball? I watched every single pitch that he – and I know he didn't dominate in the uh, in the World Baseball Classic, but he came out of the pen a little bit. Like He, he was using different roles. He did dominate uh, against lesser teams. But looking at the pitch data, most importantly – with, with the Major League Baseball, because that's what they're using, yeah. it was pretty much unchanged and, and really strong. So I have little concern about him adjusting the baseball. Maybe there's eight or ten starts where he's not exactly what he is right now, but we saw with Sango once he fully settled in, he was one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball in the second half. And he's got, again, is the ghost is it a ghost fork? Like, no, that that's an 80-grade split that Sango rolls out. Yamamoto's is a 70 you know, and, and then he's got way better breaking balls overall, I think, and, and a better fastball from a lower release point and better command, which is really important too. like Sanga walks guys and not as much in the second half of the season, but he walks guys like Yamamoto is a much more complete pitcher. So he's technically going to be a prospect before he debuts. Is he the number one prospect in baseball or is it still holiday? Oh, I hate pitchers, as you know, so I, I would say holiday, but he's the number one pitcher, number one pitching prospect in baseball. Yeah, I, uh, without a doubt. I like I to me, I, I wouldn't even think twice taking him. Oh, I think he's a notch above Skeens. How about Caminero? Who like is he the number two prospect in baseball? He might be. Yeah, I would say so. Dang. I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And you can get it, you don't have to, you know, deal with the six year thing. Like you can sign him for eight years because he's 25, he's about to turn 26. The only other thing that I have before we get into second team all MLB is we've hit the point where, you know, clubs have decided to exercise or not exercise their their club options and players have opted out. And it kind of all went chalk, right? Stroman opted out, Bellinger opted out, a whole bunch of other guys opted out. There was one that caught my attention, and it's not just because it's a White Sox thing, but the White Sox declined a $14 million club option on Tim Anderson. I know Tim Anderson was one of the worst hitters in baseball this year, and it was a massive step back for him. And he was dealing with a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with baseball. And I guess a lot of stuff that had to do with, you know, picking a fight with the wrong guy at second base in Cleveland. Um, It was a year from hell for him. But $14 million for a guy that we were talking about at the end of the 22 season still as, you know, a possible face of baseball or at least the face of that franchise it is kind of quick. And I thought that this was a 
super rapid dissension for a guy that was considered one of the stars and more marketable stars of the game. Do you think they made the right decision declining that club option? Cause he hits free agency now. And how do you value him? I mean, I, I would say no, um, just because of it's not my money and it's not a $20 million option. It's 14 and you could trade him at the deadline and you're ultimately only paying 10 of that. If he rebuilds his, his value. But to me, that says that they felt quite confident that he was not going to rebuild his value there. And whether that's because of clubhouse issues, whether that's because of the way he was playing or just the way that they think he's physically trending, I have no idea. But for the White Sox, I mean, I think in this situation here to basically say, look, we're going to let him walk for nothing and because we don't even want to pay him $14 million, I think it's it says a lot about what they what they think about him at this point and also, you know, how much they want him around. Clearly, a guy that we thought once would be, a, like you said, a face of the franchise for them is someone that they're not even willing to take a flyer on here and see if he can rebuild his value. It's it's surprising, and I would say no. They made the they did not make the right decision because look, you you, you pick up the option, he plays for you, even if he doesn't rebuild his trade value. What's fourteen million dollars when that's going to be your starting shortstop, presumably? <laughs> Excuse me, and anybody that you sign on a one year deal. I mean, Jace Peterson didn't he get like seven mil? Like so. you know, a lot of the, that's mean, just like what do you any replacement level player that you're going to find. I'm I'm fairly certain Jace Peterson got like seven. What did Oledimus Diaz get? I, I was actually going to Elvis Andrews. He got three. Okay. Uh Oledimus Diaz got, I think it was two for nine or something. Oledimus Diaz got two for 14 and a half. Oh my. So God. yeah, I mean it's it's half essentially AAV. But uh, my point being is like I'd rather give Tim Anderson a one-year flyer than a two-year deal for the same amount on Oledimus Diaz. I, I just think it's 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 kind of wild. So no, I think it's a mistake. I don't think it's one that they're drastically going to regret because I don't think he's going to be somebody that's, you know, a game changer anymore. But some team's going to be happy to take a flyer on him for what I presume is going to be less than $14 million, obviously. Uh, but I, I'm interested to see it. This is a player that I think the Marlins could end up, you know, looking at to, to play shortstop. I think for him at this point, he's not going to be picky. He's going to be looking for a place where he can continue to play consistently. And a team like that makes sense. So it'll be... It'll be interesting to see what kind of market there is there for him. And I think a lot of teams are going to be doing their due diligence on, you know, what really happened in Chicago. And I think that Tim Anderson and his team shouldn't have a tough time being able to paint the picture of, Hey, this place was a disaster. It's not TA's fault. It was kind of everything falling apart around him and he will be a great teammate elsewhere. And you know what? I I could subscribe to that belief because I, I still do believe that Tim Anderson can be a positive, a net positive for a team and for a clubhouse. Well, I, he was who they revolved around in 20 and 21 when they made back-to-back playoff runs. Like Tim Anderson was the guy. There were guys that were really talented, but Tim was the consistent one. So I'm rooting for him. Um, yeah. If it is a two-year prove-it deal or a one-year prove-it deal and he signs with the team that wants to give him two, um, that'll be great. He's also he's way more flexible in his options now because we were talking about him at the deadline as a, a third middle infielder type ad for next to nothing like the Dodgers. Hey, you want Miguel Rojas not playing? Might I point you in the direction of Tim Anderson? Now he has an opportunity to find a spot where he's going to play every day and build his stock back up. So will he be an all-star again? I'd be surprised, but will he be better than he was in 2023? I think that's very likely. Yeah. 
And I hope so. I mean, baseball is just better when Tim Anderson's good. Right. Yeah. It's just, he's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's do second team all MLB. Cause again, first team is coming on Wednesday. Let's start with catcher. We went with William Contreras of the Milwaukee Brewers, and this was actually pretty easy. And, you know, we're not going to give away the the first team guy, but his numbers are very damn close to the first team guy. And he actually had a better war, 5.4 compared to 5.1 than the first team guy. But William Contreras, 141 games, a five and a half win player, slash 289, 367, 457, 17 homers, 78 RBIs. He was so good defensively, and that bumped his stock big time when he was a DH and a corner outfielder in 2022 with Atlanta. So how impressed were you with the ascension that he made defensively this year? Yeah, I love that you specify defense, right? Because I think all of us would have kind of set the line at what he did offensively, right? If I told you 124 WRC plus for William Contreras, I think you probably would have said, over under what what would you have said i would have said like push almost yeah i feel like that would have been right there i would have said like slightly under like a 117 but you know within within a shouting distance what i would have 100 percent not taken the over on is his defensive run saved or really his caught stealing any any defensive metric you want to look at his framing overall receiving has been better like he was really good and i'd love to know what what he found what what he worked done and you know who he was able to specifically work with to find this and maybe that story's out there i just you know wasn't digging too hard for it but I, it's it's remarkable what he's been able to do there's a guy that graded out in terms of defensive run save negative seven and 415 innings with with the braves in 2021 negative four and 518 innings in 2022 and then five defensive runs saved in 942 innings this year but again across the board was just better in, in every single way and and this is a guy that's still very young. This was his age 25 season. So not only did he make massive gains defensively, I think he's really solidified himself as one of the best catchers in the game, which is, you know, really exciting. And I think you got to feel really good if you're the Brewers. And it was a thin group three months ago. And now it's a lot less thin when we talk about best catchers in baseball, because Gabby Moreno has, you know, shoved himself into that conversation. Jonah Heim is fully in that conversation now. Going into this year, it was... All right, Adley, JT, Realmuto, Alejandro Kirk, who fell out of the conversation, Will Smith. But after that, it's like, is Jose Trevino sixth? Like <laughs> now you can say that Trevino, even though he is a gold glove caliber catcher, is like 10th or 11th on that list, which is great for catching. And there are some really good catchers in the minor leagues that are set to come up in the next year and a half, two years. Yeah, how about Cal Rowley? Like 30 Cal homers. It's another great and season. sneaky, great defense. Yeah. I mean, four, four, seven, F4. And then, you know, you got Francisco Alvarez, who's going to, I think, continue to great. ascend. Yeah. Pat Bailey's a defensive wizard that you have to put in that, like, Trevino conversation with the ability to potentially give you a little bit more offensively. At this position, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. And we haven't even mentioned Sean Murphy, who in the first half was arguably the best catcher in baseball and then just yeah. really fell off. It's turned into a position where there's finally a fair amount of talent. Yiner Diaz is going to be the, the Astros primary catcher next year. I guarantee he kind of catapults himself into the top 10 consideration. Bo Naylor, I know a guy that you're really excited about. That's a guy that I think is going to have a really nice year and settled in nicely uh, as he got more big league reps this past season. This is finally turning into a, a deep position. 
in Major League Baseball. And, you know, we saw this coming when we were covering prospects, you know, in the call-up. A lot of these guys were, were notable prospects, but some of them aren't. And, and they're guys that are just late bloomers and have made a big leap. And like Contreras, it's it's really exciting. 5.4 F4, I mean, I, I again, I would have taken the under on that yeah. without hesitation. Yeah. And that's looking like a really good deal for the Brewers. If he put up a 124 WRC plus, I would have said three and a half three. win player. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like three and a half. And and that's that. Like the defense is league average at best, but the defense was really good. First base, yeah. Matt Olson of the Atlanta Braves is the second team first baseman. This was very easy. He was 1.2 wins behind the leader, which is crazy because Matt mm-hmm. Olson played all 162, which gives you big time bonus points. But slash 283, 389, 604, at 54 homers and 139 driven in. It's a 160 WRC plus. Best offense in recent memory had a lot of guys on base, and there was always somebody that was up with those men on base, and they scored a lot of runs because Matt Olson hit third for them. You know when I knew Matt Olson was going to have a good year this year? So I pulled a Matt Olson autograph card. Okay. Um, it wasn't his rookie, but it was a, a refractor auto, like definitely a solid card to have. I was, I was excited about it. Got it out of a random pack. I had it sitting on my desk and this was before the season, you know, almost price right a month or two before the season. And my girlfriend has a wonderful German shepherd named Kona and Kona likes to nibble on a lot of different things, but usually didn't go after the baseball cards. And I had a bunch just sitting on my desk. And only one of them was autographed, which was the Matt Olson one. She went right for that one. I didn't know. I got out of the shower. I walk out and I just see it sitting between her paws and she's just nibbling on it. And obviously the card was, was, was toast. I tweeted it out like way, way back when it happened. And I was looking at that and I'm like, this guy's going to go nuclear this year. I know it. This card's going to just continuously go up in value. And of course it wasn't, it's not like his first Bowman Chrome auto. So it's not a big deal, but you know, it probably was a $15 card when I pulled it, probably a $40 card now, but I just knew the second that I walked out and that card was getting not up by uh, that beautiful German shepherd that Matt Olson was going to go nuts this year. And yeah, 54 home runs later, here we are. She could smell the Sharpie, right? Do you think I, it must've been that, right? Like, I don't know what drew her to the autograph. Like there was, dude, there was like some garbage, right? Right. Next to those cards that I was like using just to take up space. Like she couldn't have eaten you know, my, uh, like th- there was, there was some random mask. Like there was a Rodolfo Castro, like base card right there. They like, why couldn't she go after that? Well, I gave away the Rodolfo Castro base. I think they only made one. Oh yeah. They used to the first person that, that went up to you and said, and you were he handsome. did. And hey. he was awesome. Yeah. Look, look who's doing it now. Okay, man. Full circle on the pot. Yeah. Ready. Got to get it back. Oh. I was just waiting on that. I love that. You, you stored it and you deployed it really well. Yeah, now I feel better. I'm, I'm all good now. Good. Uh, second team, second baseman. We've got a couple options here. Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks. Nico Horner of the Cubs. Luisa Rise of the Marlins. Going to add Hassan Kim. Yeah. Didn't make the cut for utility. We're going to get to utility in a moment. And I do think that this guy and the narrative surrounding this guy that was second team utility um, trumps Kim. But Marte, Horner, Arise and Kim all have very different arcs this year. Yeah. Kim 
burst onto the scene and was one of the top war accumulators of all these guys. Mm-hmm. Probably the highest war of all these guys. Luis Arise was on 400 watch all year. Nico Horner is a gold glove second baseman that took a big offensive leap, and now he looks like an appropriate Robin to Dansby Swanson's Batman moving forward in the Cubs middle infield. Cattell Marte had a 20-game postseason hitting streak, and it's I don't know if we should account for postseason. No, that was what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should probably eliminate Marte. I'm also going to eliminate Nico Horner, I think. Ozzy Albies hit 33 bombs. Yeah, but in terms of 109. Jesus, God, this is tough. Who are you voting for? Because I have Ryan Finkelstein's vote here. Dude, it's tough because. I mean, you got to think about like, what do you what do you want from second base? You know, I want I want a little bit of everything. Got to hit 360. (laughs) Yeah, I also like a guy hitting 354, (laughs) like you said, but. I think I honestly have to eliminate Arias because yes, the batting average is great and and the on base is great and all that good stuff. But if you boil it down to the WRC plus, yeah, I mean one thirty two versus a one twenty seven from Cattell Marte versus a one twenty four from Ozzy Albies versus a, a, a one twelve even from Hassan Kim. Those guys are all doing much more outside of the bat to ball department. Uh, there's there's a lot more that you're getting there. Personally, I have this affinity for Hassan Kim because I just I love his game, right? A guy that's tapped into a little bit more power, hits the 17 home runs, steals 38 bags, could play a great defense at short, ends up playing great defense at second base. But again, what does it boil down to? Like Cattell Marte, eight more home runs, 30 less bags. Nico Horner, I, I'm I'm surprised you're ready to eliminate. 43 bags as efficient as possible. One of the best defenders at the position. It's really, 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 really hard. I wish Jose Altuve played the whole year so we could just easily pick him. Yeah. Um. Man, it's, I'm kind of oscillating between the three guys. But again, I, and I think they all check different boxes that I kind of weigh equally at the position between Albies, Marte, and Kim. And again, I think Horner could be right there too. The lesser power, I don't, you know, I don't value defense as much as I would if it was shortstop. So I do want to see a little bit more offense at the position. I don't want Cattell Marte's postseason to give me recency bias. Yeah. Ozzy Albies does have the best counting stats, but also was in the best situation to hit. But 0.4 F4 for Hassan Kim doesn't really make that much of a difference. I think you got it. You might have to go Ozzy Albies here. Uh, so, Hassan Kim, 38 bags compared to Horner's 43. I don't, the 0.4 in war is like really kind of getting me. And also, a, a 10% jump in WRC plus from Kim or from Horner to Kim. 33 and 109 is so hard to argue with. It's That's so hard. Think. 33 and 109 because I want to go Kim. Yeah. And I do give bonus points for a team being really good. But the thing is, Kim played 152. Albies played 148. That's a wash too. And, and, you know, again, the the F4 side of it, I think there's some interesting aspects to that because again, the defense helps. Kim also played 32 games at third and 20 games at short, which is always going to give you that, especially short, that F4 bump. 
so I I I lean Ozzy Albies here. Yeah. Because and, and not just the 33 pumps, also hit for a higher average than than Cattell and Kim. I wish he walked more sure. I wish he was a little bit better of a defender, but I mean, in terms of just being a producer, and I, I think that that's kind of what the position demands now in a lot of ways is is they want you to hit. You know, what what's what's a glove first second baseman gonna do for you? Uh, you know, I, I like it. It's a great bonus and it may help in the F war department, but you know, I, I want guys to drive in runs and produce. And I think Albies did that with the best of them this year. I thought it was one of the better second baseman seasons, you know, we've seen in the last few years up there with Semyon and, and, and several others. So I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Albies with my vote just because it's, right. it's hard to argue against 33 and, and one Oh nine and mixing in 13 to 14 on stolen bases and hitting 280. It's just, it's good across the board. Yeah, Fink, our managing editor, went with Cattell Marte, but you know, there's probably some playoff recency there, and that wasn't specified when we were emailing back and forth. So, all right, yeah, I'll concede. Albies, nice. Thirty-three and one hundred nine is impossible. You win. Uh, shortstop. I went with Francisco Lindor of the New York Mets. The other option was Bobby Witt Jr. Hmm. And I went with Lindor. Because this guy played 160 games. He had a 6.0 F4 slash 254-336-470. He was as sneaky of a 30-30 season as you can imagine. Because the Mets were out of contention entirely. But hey, so were the Royals. Witt was swiping billions of bags. So I think people were paying attention. When they turned on a Royals game, they were like, hey, what's Bobby Witt up to? I'm not sure how many people were turning on Royals games at the end of the year. But Lindor, in a year that was just showered with mediocrity and disappointment for the Mets. This guy busted out 31 homers, 98 driven in, and 31 bags with a 121 WRC+. And we know he's one of the better defenders at the position, if not the best consistently. Yeah, and this is a position where, yeah, it's turned into an offensive, it's a premium offensive spot, so you got to swing and in he, there. And he gives you that. It gives you that, but I I'm weighing the defense a little bit more over here. I, this is where you can really separate yourself. And when you look at defensive runs saved, he's it wasn't the top this year, but you look at some other metrics. He was one of the best. And as you said, you just just watch this guy play shortstop. I think he's he just day in and day out one of the most consistent and, and strong defenders. And we saw that. But to your point, to see what he did offensively to go thirty thirty, uh, it is something that we thought might not happen again for him outside of Cleveland, it's it was pretty fun to watch him do what he did. And it would have got a lot more fanfare, yeah, if, if the Mets were not a team that was very quickly out of it and you know had a, a lot of extracurriculars just kind of going around with, with them and, and, and the narrative around that team. I think you got to go with Lindor. You know, from, from the F4 perspective, again, one more home run than, than Bobby Witt. And, and he was kind of in a position to – you know, maybe not motor as much, maybe not have the green light as much as a Bobby Witt. I think that this was just a a well-rounded, almost as good of a season as you can have. I love what Bobby Witt did, and I think this guy could compete for MVPs in, in the coming seasons. But you give me a little bit more in the WRC Plus department. You give me a little bit more in the F4. Uh, you give me a little bit more, I think, defensively. I'm going to lean towards Lindor, though Bobby Witt, again, is turning into a superstar it wouldn't surprise me if he overtakes him next year. And credit to Bobby Witt. you got to shout him out because this guy, like 
this shouldn't have been a conversation if we saw the 2022 defense from Bobby Witt, but the fact that he had that one-year turnaround, just because there was consistency, he pretty much split his time between third and short in 22. In 23, he was given the reins at shortstop, and he turned into one of the better defenders at the position when he was one of the worst defenders on the left side of the infield in 2022. Yeah. So, which which broke my brain, by the way, because that was one of the easier sixes I've put on a glove. You know, when we were doing our top 100 list for 2021 and going into 2022, like that was one of the easiest plus gloves I was able to give out. And then that first year, I'm like, whoa, whoa where did I go wrong here? So it's nice to see, uh, you know, what tapping into that defensive and I still think there's more in there like I do think that he can progress and continue to become I think one of the better defenders of the position as well which is gonna make him one of the best players in baseball and and I feel like so much of that came from asking him to bounce back and forth so often. yeah That's definitely really definitely and and I just think just asking him to do a lot of hitting at the top of the order and, and and yeah moving back and forth and and I think there was a lot of moving parts of that I do want to shout out JP Crawford as well, mm-hmm. not in this conversation, but I think another guy that could very easily get lost in the shuffle and had a phenomenal season, a it's 134 fun. WRC plus from JP Crawford. Talk about over unders going into the year. I would have crushed that. under. He's one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half. You know that you're going to get a good glove there. I yeah. think the metrics sometimes do him dirty. He's a great glove and anybody that, you know, anybody that watches him consistently would tell you that, but I was floored at how, how good he was offensively this year walking a ton he looks like one of the better shortstops now in the game and and that's been really fun to see him continue to to progress this way yep uh last infielder isak paredes was a very fun story i was campaigning for him but (laughs) ultimately uh jose ramirez is your second team third baseman it had to be jose ramirez who put up a 5.1 war season 156 games 36 doubles 24 homers 80 driven in He's still 28 bags again. That guy doesn't look like he should be stealing 28 bags, but death taxes and Jose Ramirez putting up a five win season. <laughs> this is what this guy does every year. You can, you can just feel so good every year going into it, just knowing that you've got pretty much the, the, the top of your order taken care of wherever you want to plug him. You could justify him almost in any spot and he'd be great there. The way he walks and gets on base, you can put him in the leadoff spot. The way he hits and drives and runs, you can put him in the three spot or the four spot or the two spot. Like He's a switch hitter. You can kind of put him wherever. And I, I just it's impossible to poke a hole in this guy's game. He struck out the least he has struck out since 2016. He walked the exact same amount that he punched out. You mentioned the bags. The home runs were there. He's always a solid defender. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the metrics graded out to this year, but you can always count on him to be solid. Yeah, it looks like he's above average in both the outs above average and defensive runs saved perspective. I mean, this is is we were talking about best contracts in baseball from a pitcher's perspective, but in terms of of a hitter's perspective, him he was already on one of the better deals, and even even now, looking at the rest of his deal that that he got, he's still one of the better contracts in baseball. Twenty million AAV. One hundred percent. Luis Roberts also on that list. He's one of the three second team outfielders. Our three outfielders, Juan Soto, Luis Robert, and Kyle Tucker. We're going to go through one by one in the outfield, then DH, utility, uh, and some pitchers to wrap. But first, a quick break. Let's start with Soto, who is a five and a half win player. Soto played all 162. Sneaky played all 162. A 155 WRC+. 
you forget about this guy when he's on a 500 team and on an underwhelming team. You should never forget about him. And okay. Defensive questions have knocked him down from 500 million to 400 million. Mm -hmm. This cat's going to get 350, maybe $400 million when he does hit free agency. And, I think I had some doubts coming into this year, but it really feels inevitable now. I think seeing him go through the struggle that he struggled, quote unquote, in the first half and then you know, in the first couple months and then come out of it the way he did and and be Juan Soto as we have become accustomed to and then some, that would almost give me more comfort. This was a guy that entered Major League Baseball just having it, right? Just just knowing how to hit. And and we saw that at 19 years old and we saw it in the World Series and, and all that good stuff. But sometimes these guys that just always had it, when they lose it, they don't know how to find it again. And he was doing some funny drills. He was doing some things to try to get those feels back. Everyone's talking about how he was pulling off and some of the little mechanical things that crept into his swing. And he found it again. And, and when a guy's able to do that, we talked about that with Bellinger as well and, and seeing him find it again. That gives me so much more confidence. And of course, that was way more extreme. But when when it's Juan Soto, we never expected him to go through any kinds of slumps. <laughs> he seemed almost impervious to that kind of thing. So to see him come out of the other side of what was the toughest stretch, quote unquote, of, of his career thus far, I feel really confident that this guy's just going to be this every single year. He's going to be a 160 WRC plus just about every single year. Yeah. And he did it again this year, even with the slow start, 35 homers. And you, you can kind of ignore the defense at this point when when he does what he does with the bat. Doesn't make sense that he's so bad defensively, but who cares? Yeah, um, guy where it's way less reliable. Uh, we did get a full season of Luis Robert. He played 145 games, and he was who we expect him to be. He was a five win player. He had a 315 on base, and he was a five win player. That doesn't happen. 38 homers. 80 ribbies, 20 bags, a 128 WRC plus. It's so hard to have a 128 WRC plus when you walk like 6% of the time. But this guy has so much talent in the tank. We just got to see that talent over 162. And uh, he was the saving grace on that team this year. I mean, it's just, here's what he does when he's healthy. Mm -hmm. that's, That's it. I mean, we've talked about it. This guy's a, a superstar and it's just, it's been so frustrating because we haven't been able to see what a full slate of, of Luis Robert can really look like. And this year was, it was one of the pretty much the only reason to tune into a white Sox game for the most part was, was, was Luis Robert. And I'm interested to see how, you know, how he looks on this team as they hopefully start to give him some decent pieces around him and, I mean, why would you pitch to Luis Robert next year? It's kind of my thing. And I think that was part of the problem. He's he's one of the more aggressive hitters in baseball, but he's also proven that despite walking at a 5% clip, despite swinging at everything, he can still be incredibly productive and, and pretty consistently productive. And then the defense is good uh, and all, all the other stuff. But I mean, Robert, if if he can walk a little bit more, I, this guy could be one of the, the better players in the game. But I thought this was as exciting and as, as encouraging of a season as you could ask for from just the games played perspective. And then, you know, the, the production across the board. Yeah. And if they do if they are tracking to be a 65 win team next year and we hit the deadline and they entertain the Robert move again, his contract can change their franchise. It is so team friendly. He's so good. If he's healthy and they want to move him, I mean, it's, it's not Soto package, but it's, it's close. closer to it than you would think. 
it's yeah. real close given the given the years of control and how cheap it's it would be very close very close Kyle Tucker is our second team right fielder Kyle Tucker led the American League in RBIs this year he had 107 or 112 of them 37 doubles 29 homers 30 backs he was a homer shy of a 30 30 season yeah he had a 140 WRC plus and he was a 4.9 win guy Kyle Tucker almost had a 30 30 season while hmm. leading the American League in RBIs there are other guys that you can point to. Hey, Adolis Garcia was amazing throughout the post or throughout the season. And we know who won the postseason battle between Tucker and Adolis Garcia. One of them disappeared. One of them showed up and won a CS MVP. But Kyle Tucker's regular season might have been the most underappreciated regular season that we had in baseball this year. Yeah. And that it, doesn't it kind of feel like he's just always going to be that guy, though. Yeah, like he's always going to be the guy that we say, oh, people don't. When is he underrated? Like, when is he too underrated to be underrated? That kind of thing. Yeah. And it's funny because like, look right here. I'm for those watching on YouTube. I'm holding up a Kyle Tucker Bowman Chromato. I've just been scooping up his cards because I'm like, nobody. They're way too cheap. And it's weird. But it also makes sense. One, one, no one likes the Astros. But two, he's just one of those players that you're going to look back and. 10 years say holy shit he's on a hall of fame track i I really think he's he's in that that conversation he's gonna have to continue to do it right but you look at what he's already done and if he maintains i mean it was 30 home runs in 2021 30 home runs in 2022 29 home runs in 2023 if he's averaging 30 home runs and 25 to 30 steals every single year he's while hitting for average while playing pretty good defense he took a little bit of a step back this year metrically but 4-7 4-7 war, 4-8 war, 4-9 F war the last three years. I mean, you can pretty much pencil him in for that. He's Mr. Consistency. He might not have the flashes. He might not have the 45 home run season. But if he does this for a decade plus moving forward, he's going to be in a really good spot in a lot of the counting stats. And he's going to be comfortably one of the best players, you know, I think of the last decade just by what his body of work. And I don't see him slowing down. Like, I just think there's a guy that's always going to be solid. Do you think his card price shoots up and his overall appreciation shoots up after he signs his deal? Because he's yes talked about it. He's a $300 million guy. Yes. So yes, but if he signs with the Astros, does it shoot up too? I feel like if you sign for that gaudy a number, people are going to be like, well, yeah, you're... Yeah, I think it does regardless because, again, I think it's one of those things where it's like people are like, Kyle Tucker, like pretty good player. Yeah, yeah, I think and the casual paid. Pretty, it's like I didn't realize he was that. Holy good. shit, three hundred million for him! And then you go look at the Fangraphs page or the Baseball Reference page, and you're like, oh well, yeah. look at some of the other deals guys have gotten. That's I right. mean, like, what's who's better than that? You can count on one hand probably at that position. So, no, I'm with you. I think once that deal comes in, the thing is, the Astros never give those deals out. So maybe it comes from another team. I I could see him being like a Dodger or something. He's I gonna really be a could. great Marlin. He's gonna be such a good Marlin. Yeah, this is, so when when do you have uh, Bruce Sherman winning the Powerball? He's going to be such a good Cincinnati Red. <laughs> There's so many options. And he could hit 45 there. Yes. He's going to be such a good Rocky. Um, that second, one I could actually see. They could give him 350 oh, and yeah. just call it a day. Oh, yeah. That would be sick. Second team DH is his teammate, Jordan Alvarez, who did not qualify. Didn't qualify. 114 games. But here's what he did in 114 games. Four and a half wins. Slash 293, 407, 583, 31 homers, 97 driven in, a 170 WRC plus. He's the best hitter in baseball next year. Is he the best hitter in baseball? I think so. 
who's like judge, but I'll take Jordan's overall numbers over judge. I do think it's, I just, I wish we got a full judge slate this year just because yeah. it looked like he was on pace to do it again. Yeah. Uh, if he did something. it again, then we're not having this conversation, but, but he regardless, I mean, yeah. he's, he's there. Right. And, and I, and I'm with you. I think it's Acuna. I think it's, and no order judge. And I think it's Jordan. I think those guys are kind of in a, in a league of their own uh, in a lot of ways with Seager knocking on the door now too. I, yeah. I think his, his swing is just about the platinum standard uh, and, and I'll nerd out about that another time. But um, yeah, I mean, we saw it in the playoffs, but to your point, to, to what he did in 114 games, if, if he didn't get banged up and, and plays a full slate, like we're talking about with judge, he's probably at 50 home runs. He's, I think what really wows me though is is the batting average and on base skills as well. I mean, Ridiculous. hitting two ninety three and getting on base at a four oh seven clip with the power that he has. I mean, it just it, they don't come much better than Jordan at the plate. That's my thing. Like, so his stature says twenty five percent K rate, but it's under twenty. Is it under fifteen? It's close to fifteen. It, it, I think it was eighteen and a half this year, but I think he's had other years where it's closer to fifteen. But, so yeah, judge like it's always going to be around twenty five percent. It's always yeah. going to be higher. Like in terms of K rate, judge will always be upper echelon, which is not a good thing. But judge always walks. Like he is the judge is probably the perfect power hitter. He fits the yes. power hitting mold. Acuna is a physical specimen, and so is Jordan. Yeah. So is Judge. But Acuna is just kind of different in that regard, where he's one of the fastest guys in baseball. He's just kind of an alien life form. But the way I kind of view Jordan is this guy is built to be something and he's that, but he's also the other thing. He's built to be this power hitting menace and he's that, but he's also a great batting average bat to ball guy, protect the entirety of the zone. It, you shouldn't, there shouldn't be such thing as a pure power hitter. And he is. Right. That's the best. Yeah. I think it's the best way to describe it is like, I'm always when I'm writing up prospects, it's always like, whoa, this guy has plus power and an above average feel to hit. Like that guy's probably gonna be real good. That usually ends up being a top prospect. When you got plus plus power and I, I'd say borderline plus plus feel to hit, like that sometimes you almost have to zoom out and be like, imagine a prospect with 70 hit, 70 power, or almost 80 power. Well, like, what the fuck is that? That's <laughs> like, that's crazy. That's Jordan that's Alvarez. Yeah. He's he's a 70 hit 80 power guy. Mm-hmm. So, and I want I want to allow pushback on the eighty power thing because he consistently. I think he's what third in exit velocity, like average exit velocity consistently. Like Judge yeah. is eighty power. I think you probably got to hand out three eighties to the. I think yeah, teams. yeah. In today's game, you can hand out like three eighties. Um, yeah, and yeah, Jordan's hundred ten mile per hour, ninetieth percentile yeah. this past year. I mean, you can say like 70, it's like 75. So it's like, you're, you're pretty much just towing the line there. Max yeah. this year of 118. Like, yeah, that's damn near an 80. Yeah. Um, utility guy. Second team utility. Cody Bellinger had to make this team. The redemption that Cody Bellinger had this year, he was a four-win player in 130 games. Bellinger, 29 doubles, 26 homers, 97 driven in. 20 bags and a 134 WRC plus he's going to get paid like the shit years didn't happen. And this year kind of debunked that and said, Hey, he might've just needed a change of scenery. 
Cody was too good to not make this list somehow. And he split his time relatively evenly between center field and first base because he banged up his knee. And played excellently at both, you know, yeah. when he was when he was in the lineup. And I mean, so many improvements, right? And so many things that he was just much more like the old Cody Bellinger, but I think he also got his swagger back a little bit too, where of course that's going to come when you succeed, but you just saw it in the box. You saw the confidence. It wasn't this guy where it's like, Oh, I hope everything times up perfectly. And he connects with one. Finally, it was like, you're expecting him to hit the ball again. You're expecting that, that uppercut swing to just crush one, you know, straight away to center field or into the right center gap. Yeah. You're visualizing it while he's in the box. I hadn't done that in a while. You know, I, I was usually visualizing whiffs, you know, at the top of the zone when I saw him up there. And it, it's crazy how that can change so quickly when you watch these at-bats and you see just a comfortable Cody Bellinger. 6% jump or 7% jump in his in-zone contact. I mean, you don't see that year over year with major league hitters. You rarely see that with minor league hitters. To see a 7% jump in his in-zone contact is absurd. I mean, that, and that shows you just how much more confidence he has. It's obviously found something with his timing, uh, cut his swinging strike rate, which is just the, the amount you swing and miss at everything, uh, yeah. down by 3%. I mean, that that's substantial. He just, the underlying metrics back it. I know people talk about like some of the other underlying metrics in terms of like, you know, predictive measures saying, oh, you know, he may have overperformed a little bit, maybe, but you look at a lot of the even Beneath that, right? These are like the underlying metrics, but beneath the underlying metrics, there's a lot of massive gains that I think point towards Cody Bellinger being at least close to what he once was. And if he's 70% of what you know he once was at his peak, that's a guy that's perennial all-star almost. Yeah, and he's worth $100 million for sure because his Easily. peak was MVPs. Easily. So, um, all right, we're going to go rapid fire through the pitchers. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to give the name, season numbers, my one prevailing thought you follow with your one prevailing thought okay, and we'll okay. go, we'll kind of go rapid fire. I also have uh, some decisions that we have to make at the end of the starting pitchers and the end of the bullpen arms, five starters, two relievers on the second team, Logan Webb of the San Francisco giants, 33 starts, 216 innings, a three, two, five ERA, a whip at one Oh seven, nine Ks per nine, two and a half walks per nine, and a uh, a whip at 107, or a FIP, pardon, at 316. Logan Webb threw way more innings than you would anticipate, and this guy is always going to have an ERA in the low threes. He's always going to be a second team, all MLB guy. Yeah, That's yeah. my thought. That was literally what my, my prevailing thought was just going to say. He's Mr. Consistency, I think. And, um, you know, again, we talk about durability, like knock on wood. It's what is durability on the mound. But if, if there is such thing, Logan Webb, looks like something along those lines. And yeah, for me, the prevailing thought is consistent as they come right now in this, in this game. Yep. Zach Gallen, the Arizona diamondbacks is second team, 210 innings across 34 starts. He was 17 and nine with the three and a half ERA, nine and a half Ks per nine, two walks per nine. Gallen was first team until the very end and a couple of blow up starts. Yeah. I feel like he just ran out of gas a little bit, right? I'm, a guy that's had a little bit of history of elbow issues, you know, arm issues over the last couple of years. I think 2022 was kind of the first time we really saw him build, build, build. And even yeah. at 184, think about it from this lens. Okay. He threw 184 innings. He started to fade right around then because that's 30 more innings now we're talking about here where 
more than 30 where that's what four or five starts, maybe six where you start to fade. I think that was kind of the difference here. So, you know, at the end of the day, you are what, what you were on the field, but my prevailing thought was this guy was, like you said, a first teamer until he reached new heights in terms of his innings. And that's also still a positive through 210 yes. innings. So big step forward in terms of usage and durability. And then we saw him finish strong in the postseason. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot more first half gallon next year. Yeah. And what, 30 plus innings in the postseason to add on top of the 210. This guy was flirting with 250, which yeah. nobody does anymore. Um, yeah, I was trying to spin zone my way into a gallon Cy Young candidacy, but there were a couple of blow up starts at the end that just I, I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, Jordan Montgomery is our next guy with the Texas Rangers slash St. Louis Cardinals. It's not just the postseason, folks. Jamont, 188 and two thirds innings, 3 2 ERA, a 1 2 whip, three and a half fib, punched out eight per nine, walked two and a half. He was so under the radar all regular season. And then they realized the get outs guy is really good in the postseason. So I think the baseball world kind of latched on. Yeah. I mean, he's going to get himself paid, right? It, it's it's funny because I, I thought when Jordan, we're talking about what makes him so good, when Jordan kind of talked about how it's just one of the more uncomfortable at bats for him, it just shows you sometimes it's hard to fully be able to understand how somebody's stuff works. And with him, it's deception and everything looks the same out of his hand. He repeats his release point. And I love pitchers like that because you could pretty much count on consistency. He's going to fill up the strike zone. He's going to give you quality starts pretty much every fifth day. And I think he just leaned into it even more this year and just was able to take that command to another level, use that deception uh, to his advantage a little bit more. And this was the best season of his career. 3-2 ERA. And then, as you mentioned, what he did in the postseason, I, I think this guy's as safe as they come when you're looking at you know, potential candidates that you can give a five-year, four or five-year deal, even though he's already 30, and free agency and say, hey, this guy will age pretty well. I thought this year was a perfect example of how he can age very well moving forward that said his velocity his average fastball velocity was higher than ever this year which is overall encouraging you're gonna uh, do 90, the Degrom thing get up to 102 at 33 years old <laughs> you, you never know no if he <laughs> did he'd be it'd be over but 93 and a half this year he never really averaged that. i think over the course of his career averaged about 92 and change damn kyle bradish is on the second team kyle bradish Crazy. of the baltimore orioles on narrative alone, Bradish is on the second team. They needed an ace, and Kyle Bradish threw like an ace this year. 168 and two-thirds innings, a 2.83 ERA, one of the best whips among qualified starters at 104, one of the best batting average against among qualified starters. Nine Ks per nine, two and a half walks per nine. Grayson Rodriguez wasn't consistent all year. They needed a frontline guy and Bradish being the frontline guy for the second best team in baseball gets you on this list. I was, I mean, this has got to be number one, least expected, right? Yeah. I, holy I, shit. And I kept waiting for the shoe to drop and it never did because he was really good all year. So I, I mean, Bradish is far from traditional and throws his slider more than he throws any other individual pitch mixing cutter sinker. Like it's, it's interesting, but it worked pretty much all year long. And we talk about consistency. Like he was a walking quality start. He really only had one blow up and that came on the 25th of, of May. And other than that, I mean, pretty much his worst starts were like four earned runs and he'd still give you six or seven innings. Like that was the remarkable thing about him. So I thought he was 
I thought he was phenomenal this year. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just a great story and, and a much needed find for for Baltimore. Big time. All right, pick one for the final starting pitcher. Kodai Senga, Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Zach Wheeler, Spencer Strider. Got to pick one. Ryan Finkelstein's vote was Strider because he blew everybody else out of the water punch out wise. And I, I get it. I totally get it. Like the K leader should probably be all MLB. Yeah, my vote's got to probably go Strider. Um, I think, you know, a couple, couple blow ups hurt him too, but yeah. yeah I mean, if you're striking out 37% of batters like and, and it, having, so I, I know he had a three, eight, six, but I it, it has to be him. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting because he, yes, there's a value to being consistently like consistently solid, like a J mod, but Spencer Strider single-handedly won them games on several occasions. Yeah. And I think I think that's an important thing. Like no no pitcher really took over games the way Spencer Strider did when he was on this year, and nobody was within five percent of his strikeout rate. Think about that. Yeah. And, and the only guy that was within five percent of him is Blake Snell, and Blake Snell walked nearly twice as many batters. So we're talking about like K to BB. No one's within shouting distance of, of Spencer Strider. So yeah, it's got to be him. But it, it's really tough to leave off some of those names that you mentioned. I mean, like. Uh- a lot of internal stuff. pressure, a lot of internal pressure from me, um, not putting a Mariner on this, like Gilbert, Castillo, Kirby, none of them are top it's, 10 this year. Like, it's that's, really that's hard really to leave fun. Castillo off specifically. Like yeah. a three, three, four struck out more than 10 per nine. It just, just was, was good all year. That one, that's probably the one that stings the most yeah like it doesn't and then kirby too i mean in terms of pitcher f4 he was what 11th in the game yeah uh, he had three three five 190 innings yeah it definitely feels bizarre leaving but and i think you can make a really sound case that one of them deserves it over strider but i mean their jobs to get to to strike get out. guys out and when strider's doing it i mean he went Again, I know we don't like to talk about like wins, losses are not that important. The guy went 20 and five this year. And I get, I know he played for the Braves, but it's because his bad starts, Braves were still in it. His good starts, he single-handedly won him for him. And uh, you, you got to put some value in that. And the underlying metrics love him with yeah. the second highest F4 in, in the game. All right. Relievers to wrap. I've got my choice of two, but I'm asking you to pick two. Yoan Duran, the Twins. David Bednar, the Pirates. Josh Hader of the Padres, Brian Abreu of the Astros. Pick two. Pick two. Hader, Bednar, Abreu, Duran. What are yours? Hader and Bednar. Hader and Bednar. Hader because he had a one two eight. <laughs> like I can't argue with a one two eight. That's insane. Bednar, if I'm not mistaken, Bednar led the National League in saves. And this guy shouldered a heavier load than anybody out of a bullpen. Like 67 innings is crazy. Yeah, and, and I think leverage has to matter too, right? Because I, I, I'd love to talk about a bruised dark Gratterall. Yeah. <laughs> who had what, a which, one, which, two, four this year? Which makes me eliminate a Brian Abreu too, because he wasn't closing game. Like Presley was the closer. Gratterall wasn't the closer. Phillips was. Like it's... It's tough. I needed yeah, to like Kobe Milner with a one eight two, but yeah, right. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta 
talk about the guys that I think were put in tougher positions. Abreu, I, I, again, this is a little bit of like the recency bias because what he did to close the season out and then what he did in the postseason was just hilarious. Like, I, I don't know if I can remember a guy being more unhittable than Brian Abreu. Like, it was just a joke. Yeah. And Naris as well. well. I mean, geez, these Astros relievers. But the names I'm picking from again, who is it? It's, it's Hater, Bednar, Duran, Abreu. Where's Duran in the ERA conversation here? I think it was like low twos. Oh, yeah. There he is. I don't know how anyone hits that motherfucker. I, I don't understand it. I don't get um, how like it's not a zero everything. Yeah. It should be zero everything. Yeah. I got to go Bednar. Hater. Yeah. Hater at a 128. Yeah. A 128. Mm-hmm. He's just annoying that he won't do like four outs and he doesn't pitch like back to back days and all that stuff. Yeah. It's got to be Hater and it's got to be Hater and Bednar. I'm with you. Yeah. Which sucks because. Credit Brian Abreu, credit Yohan Duran. I think those are two of the – I think those guys are are both more unhittable than the other two. Yes. And I would rather have at this point in their careers Abreu and Duran over Hader and Bednar. Yeah. But – But it, 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 important right. note, though, I mean, Josh Hader still, still striking out a full batter per nine more than Brian per... Abreu. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. So – all right, that's our second team. Um, shout out the Gold Glovers. I saw the passing tweet came through. I didn't see it yet. Um, I, I hope literally Brett don't even care. I, I couldn't care less about Gold Glovers now. It, it's Brett crazy. Doyle's that... a Gold Glover. Shout out. Well, he should Doyle. be. I mean, he's he's insane. Yeah. He's, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll talk about so, that. I don't even know. Nathaniel Lowe won a Gold Glove, which is crazy. Uh, I, I, like I just, it's good for him. Like I I, I love him as a dude, but this this award makes no sense. Well, every link you need is in the episode description. Get your merch. Read Arm's article on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And we'll be back with the first team on Wednesday. Thank you, guys.